1: Philip Slavin of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right, and it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site, and if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. As the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, Phillip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. We're going to keep this intro short and sweet. We have a nice, long Big 12 baseball preview. We're talking Texas, talking Oklahoma, talking Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, and I'm going to play a game with my guest, Joe Healy, for Baseball America. Trying games now because games are fun. People like games. That's a podcast thing you're supposed to do, right? The guests, games, yeah, we're gonna a shot. Like I said, we'll keep this short and sweet. Uh, I do want to point out one thing. If you have not seen the video yet, uh, Andrew Dowdy tweeted it out. It is a shot from Texas's basketball arena, folks. If his record isn't enough to get Shaka Smart fired, the fact that there was literally nobody there to watch Texas take on TCU and arguably more purple than orange, in the arena, that'll do it. That is the death nail. That is the final nail in the coffin of Shaka Smart's career in Austin. I know his buyout is like $13 million, but folks, it's done. Now, you, you can't have that. You can't have that kind of apathy for a team with a winning record who still has a shot at the NCAA tournament on the line. Look, I get it. It is a long shot, but it's still a shot. Barring a Big 12 tournament title and a run to the Sweet 16, he's done. And even that might not be enough. So we can speculate on possible head coaches after he gets fired or relieved of his duties. Obviously, John Bayline is the name. Everyone's floating around. I don't want to sit here and just say what you can read on the internet everywhere else. But, guys, it's the writing's on the wall. The proof's in the pudding. Three other cliches. It's going to happen. So, obviously, Joe Healy, Baseball America, on the show. Very excited to have him here, finally getting our baseball preview. It's a week later than I expected, but hey, we've got one. So before we get to that, do us a favor, leave us a rating, five stars, if you don't mind, especially if you listen on iTunes. If you are an iTunes listener, just scroll down, find the ratings, click five stars, you're good to go. Leave us a review if you want to take a few more seconds. You can say like, I like this show, or I don't like this show, or whatever, that's fine. But I would prefer we like the show. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at 1012 Podcast T E in the number 12, the word podcast. With that said, Joe Healy. Very excited to have Joe Healy of Baseball America joining us on the show for the first time. It's time to talk a little big 12 baseball obviously the season is underway uh everybody took uh started everything off last weekend so we've got a little bit of games to actually talk about and joe i want to start at let's just say the top of the standings right now three teams undefeated at this point four and oh uh all from the state of texas let's start with texas tech that's the team that i think everyone has preseason number one for the most part i think i saw texas from someone but you know, Red Raiders uh, had a nice start to the season. Haven't had to play anybody too daunting at this point. You know, Houston Baptist, Northern Colorado. But how have you, how has uh, Texas Tech looked at this point? You know, you, you get a team coming in that's pick number one. You expect them to look good, and they have. Um, have they have they so far lived up to your expectations?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it on the head there. It's you know, it's it's competition that's overmatched. That's, of course, no disrespect to HBU and Northern Colorado, but, you know, you expect the way it went is about how you expected it to go. So it, it's hard to know what to glean from that. Um, if nothing else, I suppose you can take from it that, you know, Texas Tech did what they were supposed to do. And, and there's a lot of teams that, um, you know, frankly, just just didn't quite do that. I mean, uh, just to give you an example, of someone Texas Tech plays a couple weeks from now, Florida State lost their Friday game to Niagara. Um, so those kind of things happen, um, and Texas Tech just didn't really allow that. I mean, especially after they, they played a relatively routine game against Houston Baptist to start off the season, but really after that first game, they, they laid it on. So, um, you know, hard to know exactly, uh, what to, what to take from that. Um, but I think, you know, it's just good news that they were able to handle it the way they were. Obviously Texas Tech is a team that kind of prides itself on scoring runs and bunches. That's always been the case, um, at least as of late. I think that's what this team's bread and butter is going to be again. uh, You know, uh, on the pitching side, what they've done a really good job of the last two or three years is taking a whole bunch of really talented guys, a lot of guys who throw really hard, and kind of cobbling together a pitching staff as the season goes on. You know, sometimes it's not, there's a lot of mixing and matching, and it's not the prettiest, but they always end up finding enough pitching. And so I, I think we're kind of dealing with a similar team this time around, even without some of the star power they've had in the past, like Josh Young and Cam Warren, guys like that.
1: Looking at the schedule for them, obviously they're heading to uh, to Round Rock this coming weekend. They're going to play Tennessee, Stanford, Houston. As you mentioned, they've got a couple of games on the road against Florida State, uh, a couple of games against Mississippi State on the schedule. When do you think Texas Tech will get their first real challenge and, and give us an opportunity to see what, they're, what they really have?
0: I mean, I think it comes this weekend, honestly. I mean, I think they'll be favored to win all those games in Round Rock. You know, they play Tennessee, Stanford, and Houston. But those are three pretty solid teams now some teams that scuffled Houston lost a series to Youngstown state at home, which they should not have done. I mean, that's something you wouldn't have expected, but still a lot of talent there. Uh, Stanford lost a series to Cal state Fullerton, but I really like Stanford on the mound in particular Uh, in Tennessee. I mean, they're not one of those ranked sec teams. They're not an sec team that's on the front of everyone's mind, Uh, but um, they're a really talented bunch. They're probably going to be a regional team this year. So, you know, I, I think Texas Tech at least goes 2 and 1 on the weekend would not be surprised at all to see them sweep it but I think it's going to be um I think it's going to be a good test for them. It's going to take them away from Lubbock, not that far obviously, but <laughs> it's going to take them away from Lubbock which is always, you know, kind of a uh, they they historically play very well at home, so the test for them is more on the road. So that'll be a part of it. Um but I think these three teams are going to see this weekend are talented enough to really give them a challenge.
1: I want to turn to Texas. They started 4-0 and as well. Obviously started on the road at Rice, not too far away with a nice uh, weekend sweep. Texas coming off a surprisingly bad year. They finished last place last year, missed the Big 12 tournament. Um, but I, and there's plenty of reason to expect a bounce back from the Longhorns this year. I mean, what how have they looked so far to you? And, and what do you really expect from Texas this year?
0: Yeah, well, Texas is the hardest team for me to peg, and I think I said as much in the in the preview uh, on the site. Uh, I, I, you know, I would believe any number of outcomes, ranging from Texas is the second or third best team in the Big Twelve and challenges to host, all the way to this is a team that's going to have to work hard to get back into a regional. I can't imagine them finishing as poorly as they did last year, and I think last year was just a case where things really snowballed on them and things got out of hand. And you know, you you go back and you look at the stats from last year. And then you look at the record, and it's you know they don't really necessarily match up because the numbers in a lot of cases they had their struggles offensively, they had their struggles with with pitching depth in particular, but that doesn't look like a last place team in terms of talent and in terms of the production. So I think it was just one of those one of those deals where everything kind of that could have gone wrong went wrong, and everything broke the wrong direction for them, and that's kind of what you end up with. But I think this team you really have to um, you know. I think the biggest thing they have going for them is just a really talented group. They brought in a a really good freshman class led by a guy named Trey Falteen, who is probably by the time he's done in Austin going to be a big-time two-way guy. Um, He's going to fit in right away. He's already made an impact offensively. And then there's a bunch of guys you've just seen that have been around the block, Duke Ellis, Austin Todd, Zach Zubia, Eric Kennedy, guys like that. So um, it was a really talented group last year that probably – Um, hit the floor of what was possible for them. Um, And so I think even this year just kind of hitting the median of what's possible with their talent probably puts them back into the postseason. And if they get somewhere close to their ceiling, like I said, I think this could be a team that hosts a regional. The talent is not in question.
1: So fun fact for Texas, they don't have a single non-conference game outside of the state of Texas. Obviously they started in Houston against Rice. They've got three more in in the city of Houston at the end of February against LSU, Arkansas, Missouri. I mean, a, it's a little odd to not have to leave the state at all, um, but where do you see an opportunity for us to find out just how good Texas actually is this season?
0: I mean, it's going to be that third weekend uh, when they go play the tournament at Minute Um, They've got LSU, Arkansas, and Missouri. Um, LSU and Arkansas, obviously, quite good teams. We have both of them in the top 15, um, and even Missouri to a certain extent. Now, Missouri's ineligible for the postseason this year. Um, that obviously kind of um limits what we're going to see from the tigers and it it probably at least hurts them a little bit in the short term uh but that's a team that in particular pitches really well so i mean that's not going to be any sort of uh walkover either so by the time they finish with that tournament at minute with those three games from february 28th to march 1st i think we'll come out of that um knowing quite a bit about the longhorns and then you know um there's really no time to relax after that they have a midweek game at home against arizona right after that and arizona's a team that can um Know can really swing it, and then Cal State Fullerton, which is the team that took two or three from Stanford last weekend, uh, right after that. So um, you know, David Pierce scheduled really aggressively. Texas always schedules pretty aggressively, so that's no surprise. Um, so the, the tests really start that weekend in Minimate, but they don't they don't necessarily stop going all the way through to uh, Big Twelve play. Because oh, by the way, they start with OU and Oklahoma State right off the bat, two of the two of the better teams in the league.
1: So you mentioned Oklahoma. Let's go ahead and just jump to them for a minute. This is a team that I think a lot of people have probably the highest expectations for that we've seen in a while for Oklahoma. You've uh, you have uh, your pitcher of the year is Cade Cavalli, right-handed pitcher for Oklahoma. So uh, pitching obviously is a big strength for the Sooners. How has how have the arms looked so far? Well, so far so good.
0: Um, you know, small samples obviously, um, but they did come off of. They got tested first week, and they played Virginia. Virginia was the team, uh, was probably team number 26 in our preseason top 25 rankings. We debated them for a long time. Had they won the series against OU, they probably are in the rankings. Um, But OU, impressively, lost the Friday game, uh, came back and won both ends of a doubleheader on Saturday. And, you know, Virginia's got talented players, so, you know, you don't want to read necessarily too much into it. But, you know, Cavalli gave up, you know, two runs in four and two-thirds, Levi Prater, um, kind of the second end of that two-headed monster, the front of rotation, gave up two runs at four and a third. Um, but the the real uh, revelation there was with Dane Acker, a junior college transfer who originally started his career at Rice. Um, he was absolutely outstanding. Five innings, gave up just one hit, no walks, struck out six. Um, so that's huge because I, I have a lot of belief, obviously, in Cavalli, given that, you know, I predicted him as the pitcher of the year, but also in Levi Prater, the guy a veteran who's just kind of done it all for the Sooners. So those guys, I mean, to the extent that the first weekend was disappointing for them, which I'm not necessarily saying I feel is the case, but um, I suppose you could say that. Um, those guys are going to come around. It was kind of a question of, like, what can we expect from Dane Acker, given that he hasn't really proven it over a full Division One season. And, and he was really absolutely outstanding. And, you know, they've got a guy named Ben Abram, uh, who's kind of their, their fourth guy. He was the midweek starter last year as well, uh really tall kid out of Canada. Um, he was really, really good last year. So far, he's been really, really good this year, five shutout innings um, in his first start of the year. So uh, last year, they were a little bit short on the mound. Um, you know, I remember talking to Skip Johnson early in the year, and, and he was saying, you know, we feel really good about our, our top handful of guys. The question is going to be, what do we have beyond that? Uh, the depth looks really good this year. I don't I don't think that's going to be a question, and I think that's a big difference for where OU was last year, which was a team that challenged to get into a regional, ultimately fell a little bit short. Um, and in this year where, you know, I think we've got to, you know, we feel pretty confident about them getting into a regional. And if things really go their way, they can end up hosting come June.
1: One of the things I feel like Oklahoma, the last two seasons, <clears throat> they've had nice records in non-conference, but they hadn't challenged themselves really at all. And that was one of the things I think that kind of held them back last year was, you know, they didn't do well in the Big 12. and The non-conference strength of schedule wasn't very good. How, how good of a job have they done this year in their non-conference schedule?
0: Yeah, it's pretty solid. Um, I think, you know, obviously it starts with a series against Virginia, which, you know, is, is also a neutral site series, uh, which helps when you're talking about RPI. Um, they've got a series coming up this weekend with Illinois State, um, and that's kind of hard to peg. I say that because you, you think Illinois State and you think, okay, well, that's kind of, you know, it's not going to be a, a terrible series, but it's made more of a neutral uh, in terms of RPI impact. But, you know, Illinois State was inside the top 30 in RPI last year. Uh, They were really good last year. I think they probably take a little step back this year. But that being said, um, they're a team that schedules very aggressively as well. So baked into their RPI, which then in turn gets baked into Oklahoma's RPI, is a really good schedule. So I think that's a series that Oklahoma's – they play four games. Oklahoma's probably going to win at least three of them. And so I think that's one where you might – on its face, it might just kind of look like, eh, you know, no big deal, but I think that could be a positive series. And then right behind that, they also play in a tournament at Minute Maid Park, playing Arkansas, Missouri, and LSU. That's really good. They've also got some sneaky good series. Uh, San Diego State uh, is probably the most consistent program in the Mountain West Conference. They're in regionals more often than not. And then they have a road series with Cal Poly in mid-March. And I just got done. I was in Arizona this past week, and I just got done watching Cal Poly Uh you know, go two and one in a tough tournament, including a win over Vanderbilt. So I think that's a really talented team. And then right after that, they start going into Big Twelve play. So I don't really see anything in terms of their weekend series. Now they've got some midweeks that, um, you know, aren't going to be great in terms of the resume. But I think that's everybody's got some of those. Uh, but on the weekends, I think they did a really good job of kind of threading the needle between, you know, solid opponents that are going to help you from a metric standpoint without the risk of really getting. Buried under a bunch of losses because there is such a thing as scheduling too aggressively that your team's not quite ready for, and you end up kind of uh, getting buried early in the season. You have to dig out of a hole.
1: So I'll try to TCU. They're another team that's had a nice start to their season. Um, win three and zero against Kentucky to open opening weekend, which was you know Kentucky's not one of the preeminent SEC teams, but it's still an SEC program, and they're not necessarily a bad one. Um, coming off a a year where they made it into regionals. Uh, They were kind of one of the shocking last teams in coming off of what was an off year for them. What are your expectations for TCU and, and were there anything to take away from that opening weekend series?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you said it well. I mean, it's, it's, it's not one of the better SEC programs, at least as it stands right now, but it is an SEC program. And when you compare it to, you know, uh, some other teams that might've, Um, you know played a softer opponent at home Um, I think you have to give them credit for that because Kentucky has SEC players too Um, so you know I think I think you can take some of that and again kind of like we talked about with Texas Tech not the same magnitude of course but you know TCU really kind of took care of business against Kentucky they didn't really mess around a whole lot which I think is I I think bodes well I think one thing that's really key with TCU is you know they they obviously had those four straight years of going to Omaha that was Um, you know, fantastic for the program. And then they've kind of tailed off the last couple of years, and and you mentioned last year just kind of slipping into the field of 64. And a big part of that was because they were recruiting almost too well. Um, They were getting a lot of guys who would get drafted and signed. And that's a delicate dance that all college coaches, especially in a league like the Big 12, have to do is kind of thread the needle of, We want to get guys good enough to be a part of this program and help us win games and and eventually get drafted, but they can't be so good that we don't have any chance of actually getting them to campus. And and TCU has done a better job than most in terms of that. They've gotten some guys to campus, even if you go way back to about 10 years ago with a guy named Matt Perk who turned down first round, being a first-round draft pick, to go to TCU. And so they've they've done a good job of doing that, but still, I mean, they they would lose guys. And, And I think that's kind of what we've seen the result of the last couple of years of they just really had some attrition with their recruiting classes. And I think it kind of backed up on them a little bit and fast forward to this year. And I think what we're seeing is their talent level is back up closer to what we're used to seeing with the TCU team last year. They were also incredibly injured. Um, And so they, they, I, I forget what the numbers are, but when I was at the big 12 tournament, they were last year, I mean, it was being discussed just how many guys they had lost for all or part of the year. And the number was really pretty staggering. And it was amazing. They had been as successful as they had been. So um, pitching is, is historically been TCU's calling card. I, I, I think it'll be kind of a similar deal, uh, this year, albeit in a season where they might have to play around with roles a little bit. I mean, they've got a guy veteran Charles King who started, um, you know, he, he you know, six shutout innings and in a start so far this year, but he's been a bullpen piece in the past. Another guy to watch out for is Riley Cornelio, you know, talking about guys who turned down opportunities in pro ball to, come to campus, Riley Cornelio is one of those guys. I mean, he was a, uh, you know, a top 50 or top a hundred. I forget where baseball America, we had him, but, um, certainly, a, a you know, a, a, uh, a well-regarded prospect who decided to go the college route. So that's another guy in that line of guys TCU has had. So that's certainly a name to watch and, um, you know, what his role is. He started in midweek. Uh, he started just yesterday, um, and through five shutout innings, um, so he's off to a good start, obviously, but seeing his role evolve, I think, is going to be uh, interesting for them because I—it's it, easy to see a scenario where you look up in the middle of Big 12 play and he's right there in the middle of the rotation, um, you know, playing a big role on the weekends in Big 12 play.
1: I want to talk about Baylor for a second, and I, I want to start. You have Baylor, uh, Baylor's Nick Lofton as your preseason pick for player of the year. Um, what is it about him that that Makes you think he's he's the best guy in the Big Twelve, and how has he looked so far? Well,
0: he's just really solid, and you know that that might seem like a kind of a you know just um, I don't want to say not a backhanded comment, but just kind of a, a, a you know a middle of the road thing to say about him. Like it's not a, a, a ringing endorsement necessarily, but I do mean that in a positive way. I mean he was productive from the minute he got to campus, um, and not just. Um, with the bat, all of that is also true, but he's also been really solid defensively. He's played some outfield, but obviously he's settled in a shortstop as time has gone on, and he's really, really good there. A good arm, good athlete, played for Team USA over the summer um, and, and shined there as well. Uh, one thing that plays into it, and I, I don't mean this with any disrespect uh, to Nick Lofton, uh, truly, um, but part of it, too, that played into him being Big 12 Player of the Year is the league did suffer you know, a little bit of a talent drain coming out of last year where... You lost a couple of big-time prospects in the league, Josh Young at Texas Tech, Shay Langeleers at Baylor, um, not to mention really productive guys in the league like Gabe Holt at Texas Tech or Cameron Warren at Texas Tech. And so it was kind of a season where, from a position player standpoint, um, the league is kind of looking for new stars to emerge, I feel like. There are certainly guys, uh, names you, names people know, names to watch Brian Klein at Texas Tech is one of them, a guy who feels like he's been there for, for about a decade. Um but Nick Lofton's name kind of comes up first. We've got him as a a big time prospect for this year's draft. Probably going to hear his name called relatively early. Um, he's been productive from day one at Baylor, so he really kind of fit the bill of the guy you're looking for to be Big Twelve Player of the Year. Off to a good start, hitting 316. Uh had a home run opening weekend, and it was a, it was a massive home run. He was able to kind of admire it a little bit. Um, that you know that's <laughs> how 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 well he got it. So um really talented player, a fun player to watch. You know, he kind of he plays the game with like a lot of fire. Um he, he's just kind of a a a fun guy to watch in, in addition to being really really good, really really productive. So uh you know, Baylor's a tough team to read too. Um you know, lose a lot of talent, but you know, bring a decent amount of talent back and it's it's kind of balancing, you know, you lose a star like Shayling Lears, but you're bringing back some veterans can they kind of fill in some of that production? Uh that remains to be seen. That's kind of the question with them. And on the mound, um, they return a lot of pieces I really like. And the question for me is, do they have a guy who's a Friday guy? And maybe that answer is yes. I mean, Steve Rodriguez throughout his career, whether at Pepperdine or Baylor, has done a really good job developing pitching. Uh, So I don't doubt they have that guy. Just as it stands right now, I'm kind of waiting to see who that guy would be.
1: I want to talk about Oklahoma State, but before I do... So your rankings, your predicted order of finish, you had Texas Tech one, followed by Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, TCU, Texas, Baylor, um, Kansas State, Kansas, West Virginia, and for those who don't know, obviously Iowa State doesn't play baseball, in case you weren't aware of that fact. Uh, how big of a gap do you think it is? I think, obviously, Texas Tech, legitimate number one pick, uh, and, I, and I I think you could debate a lot of the other ones the rest of the way down but how big of a gap do you think it is from one down to say Baylor at number six
0: yeah I think it's a little bit striated so I think there's tech I think and then there's a a gap and then you've got you know the Oklahoma schools right there and then you've got a gap um you know with with TCU and Texas and then maybe a little gap and then Baylor so I think it's it's, it's chunks of teams like I don't Tech, I think, is a clear number one in the league, but they're not not—they're not lapping the field. I'll put it that way. And then we've got the Oklahoma schools next. But to me, they're not that much different than, you know, TCU and Texas. The difference is I think the Oklahoma schools, we know what their floor is, um, and, and we think their ceilings are pretty high. With TCU and Texas, I don't think in either case we know what the floor or the ceiling is for either of those teams, and that's why they're there. I think Baylor has a high floor. Um, but I think a limited ceiling. So it's kind of what you what you because I, I could see a scenario where someone looks at Baylor and says, well, we kind of know what they are. Um, they've got some of these names that are familiar. And, yeah, they lost some guys, but so does everybody. So let's slot them in fourth behind the Oklahoma schools because we, we kind of know what they are, even if maybe the ceiling is a little bit limited. That I think that would be a reasonable take. Um, in our case, we're kind of looking at the, the high-end talent that Texas and TCU has, and, and that's kind of a differentiator there. Um, but I, to the to the point I think you're getting at with this, though, is it's, it's it feels a little bit jumbled, and we've kind of got them maybe bunched up with like teams as much as anything else in, in our predicted standings. But um, certainly not a year where I expect um, – where I expect there to be, I don't think it'll be a lot different than it was last year. Where I'm sure you remember, where it was just kind of a mess come the end of the season. I think we're probably in for something like that again.
1: Yeah, I, that's that's kind of the feeling I got. Where it feels like Texas Tech is a safe pick at one, but it also wouldn't shock me if some things got a little crazy. And we have we have half games separating first place through third just based because you know rain rain cancellations and other nonsense that seems to make the season wild. Um, so I want to talk about Oklahoma State, and of all the teams, I think they've had the, I want to say, most interesting and roughest start. Obviously, OSU uh, went to Phoenix to, for uh, for the weekend, went one and two against uh, Grand Canyon. And let's just say those two losses are not exactly what you would like to see from a team preseason ranked top 20 and, and number two in the conference. But then they they bounce back on on Tuesday night and get a win on the road at number eight, Arizona State. Oklahoma State is a a young team. they um, they some of their starters are are true freshmen. What what's your expectation from Oklahoma State? How shocking was that opening uh, weekend for them? And and what can that tell us about them moving forward? So,
0: I don't think it was that shocking. Now, would I have predicted it? No. Uh, would I have predicted their two losses would be? borderline blowout losses absolutely not um but it wasn't that surprising to me and and here's why i mean one it's road series always a little tougher grand canyon is a talented team um you know it was kind of a coin flip in the whack between them or sacramento state now you would expect a a ranked big 12 program to handle any program from the whack so i i get that but grand canyon is talented and you alluded to it oklahoma state is a a pretty young team and you know just kind of talking to them over the weekend being that i was in arizona You know, I think there's still a lot of confidence there, and and because of that youth, I think there's an attitude of, and this is me saying this, this is not from them, but I think for me, it it's one of the deals where you've kind of got to get them now because if you wait till May, you might not be able to get them um, because of because of that youth. Now that's mostly on the pitching staff. Um, You know, Bryce Osmond was the guy we picked uh and by we I mean I guess I, to the Big Twelve preview, but um <laughs> you know, I, I picked him as the I actually picked him as the as the freshman of the year nationally. Um because in part of that's opportunity. So you look at a guy like Vanderbilt's Jack Leiter, who was absolutely outstanding last night in his debut, he was the more highly touted guy. Even TCU's Riley Cornelio was more highly touted than Bryce Osmond or at least was was in that neighborhood. Um, but those two guys were guys where their roles were a little more up in the air coming into the year. Whereas Josh holiday and Rob Walton at Oklahoma state looked at Bryce Osmond and said, that's a guy we're going to put in big situations from day one. And so that's part of my calculus too. Now I believe in the talent, a big time arm, he was up to 97 in his start. So that part is not in question whatsoever, but you know, it was kind of one of those deals where the command just wasn't there. Um, he started on Friday. So opening day, I mean, that adds a little bit to it too. and the command just wasn't quite there. There were some good things. Um, you know, he did strike out four in two innings, so he did show the ability to, to dominate a little bit. Um, but I think he's going to get things cleaned up. Um, I, you know, I think he's going to be really, really good, obviously, but he's not alone there. I mean, they started, or sorry, they pitched five freshmen over the course of the weekend and a red shirt sophomore who had never pitched at the division one level because he's been rehabbing from, from injuries. So they really are pretty young on the mound. Um, offensively, you know, it's kind of the Oklahoma State we've seen. It's a lot of power. It's uh, a lot of strikeouts. I mean, I think they struck out, you know, something close to 20 times last night against Arizona State. Um, That's not ideal, but that's kind of who they are, and and they'll take that, and I don't really blame them because they're never really out of a game. I mean, we saw that last year with that fantastic Super Regional with Texas Tech where it just felt like a seesaw going back and forth. Um, I think that's who Oklahoma State is, and and they're clearly okay with that, and, and like I said, I don't I don't really blame them for that. They've got some really talented younger guys, um, led by Caden Trinkle, um, a guy who I just I really like the look of at least early on. Uh Caden Polkovich is a guy to watch. He's a junior college transfer, um, you know, who is who's just kind of a, one of those guys that coaches would say is just a baseball player, just a flat out player. Um, but a really talented guy who can do a lot of different things. He played really well in the Cape Cod League over the summer and he's hitting three seventy five uh you know, through the first four games so he's been an instant contributor there so um you know i i think there's a little volatility with oklahoma state because there is a scenario where um the freshman pitchers just don't quite figure it out now i don't think they're going to really scuffle all year to the point where they're going to have to kind of scrap you know uh, putting them out there in big situations but you know freshmen sometimes uh, the college baseball season is short enough sometimes there's just not enough time for it to really truly click with them so is that a possibility sure and, and i think that could limit Oklahoma State ceiling. I think the offense helped the floor a little bit. But um, you know, they're they're a team that certainly I think is a little more volatile than Oklahoma by just by comparison, because Oklahoma has a veteran offense, veteran rotation. Um, I think their ceiling is probably a little higher than Oklahoma's because Oklahoma has questions in the lineup about how much they're gonna get production wise there. So um, you know, I, I so I wouldn't worry too much, even if I'm the Oklahoma State faithful about this opening weekend. Certainly getting the win against Arizona State was good news. Um, Arizona State is kind of having their own uh, struggles uh, the first week of the season or so. But that, too, is a really talented team that we believe in. So I I think that was a really good kind of uh, exclamation point to put at the end of the first week of the season. Um, Now they'll continue to have, um, you know, uh, some non-conference challenges coming up. They've got the Frisco Tournament, UCLA, Illinois, Texas A&M. That's a good series. They play a really good BYU team. BYU is sneaky good. Um, They brought in a top 25 recruiting class this past year, so they too are kind of young. That's going to be a matchup of of some really talented young pitchers. So I think we'll see – there'll be more opportunities for us to kind of learn a little bit more about Oklahoma State as time goes on. But they're a team that I really think is probably more like we're going to still be learning about them as we get into Big 12 play.
1: So two last things before we let you go. First off, how many teams do you think the Big 12, if you had to pick, can get into Omaha, have a, have a real shot at potentially getting there. And if you had to pick one to actually do it, who would, the, who would those be?
0: So if I'm picking one to do it, I'd be silly not to go with Texas Tech because they've shown an incredible ability. And that, that seems like a lazy pick, and perhaps it is. Like, I'm not saying I'm above that. However, <laughs> I would say it's more because that that program has shown an incredible ability to kind of figure it out as time goes on. Um, there have been years they've gotten to Omaha where there were points during the season where you just kind of wondered I don't I don't really know if it's um, I don't really know if it's going to come together this year I mean I, I think of the uh, two seasons ago um, you know when they won the Super Regional against Duke that was a team that you know the pitching we really had questions about and, and it was like well we like you know the individual pieces here are really good but how do they fit together and make a, a, a pitching staff and then you know, Last year, a guy like Micah Dallas, similar situation as a freshman, has to kind of come in and be the Friday night guy, and obviously he, he really shined in that role. So, I mean, that's just a program that year after year is not afraid to tinker, not afraid to mix and match, and they always seem to be playing their best baseball at the right time of year, which is a, a horrible cliche, but it rings true with them. So I think I'd be silly if I didn't pick Texas Tech as the team that I would put my money on doing so. Um, I really truly believe – There are five teams in the conference capable of getting to Omaha. I'm not sure – Baylor is the cutoff. I'm not sure about Baylor just because I don't know what their ceiling really is. But, you know, I think Oklahoma State, we talked about, you know, their ceiling is – if those freshmen figure it out and things click, they're really dangerous because we know they're going to score runs. Oklahoma's pitching is really, really solid. I think that rotation at Bainacker continues to pitch the way he did in opening weekend. You know, I think that rotation is good enough to get them into Omaha. You know, we talked about Texas. I mean, that's that's Omaha-level talent they have. It's just a matter of putting it together. And then, you know, TCU, I think they saw some benefit from sneaking into a regional last year. I think it's a team that's going to come back with a little bit of a, you know, um, a, a feeling of having a mission to fulfill. Um, and their talent level is really, really high again, kind of like what we saw with those classic TCU teams. So I think there's five that are truly capable of it. I also think five is probably the number to get to regionals. Um, you know, a six team, you know, Baylor's there. I actually think Kansas state kind of in a sneaky way might have some talent to make some noise. Um, but I think six, if the big 12 is living, right. I think six is the number more realistically, I'd go five.
1: Okay. So before we let you go, I want to play a little game with you. Um, this is new for me, but I'm trying try some new things. That's what I'm told to do. Uh, we're going to call this game Roster or Imposter. I'm going to read you a set of names, and you have to tell me which one is actually a member of a Big 12 baseball roster. Okay? All right. So let's try this out. So let's, let's start with this one. Uh, first pairing, uh, Gustave Corbet. Gustave Corbet, number one. Or Andre Duplantier, the second.
0: Oh, Andre Duplantier, He's, uh, he plays for Texas. He is the brother of uh, John Duplantier, who's in the Diamondbacks organization and pitched for Rice.
1: That is correct. Duplantier is pitcher for Texas. Gustave Courbet is actually a French painter uh, who led the realism movement in 19th century. Um, okay, so number two, uh, uh, Hurricane Ramirez Jr. or Esteban Cardoza Oquendo? I'm going to go with
0: Esteban Cardozo Oquendo.
1: That is correct. Good job. Good job. Yeah, he's an infielder for Baylor. Uh Huracan Ramirez Jr. is actually a famous Lucador wrestler. So good job. That's two for two so far. All right, number th- good job. Uh number three, uh Legend Smith. Legend Smith or Jazz Dent?
0: Uh Legend Smith, that's an Oklahoma reliever.
1: Yes, that is correct. Jazz Dent is a character from a YA novel called I Hunt Killers. All right, you are you are three for three so far. Last one. Uh Raleigh Saint Clair, or Roman Fanselcar.
0: Roman Fanselcar—that is the guy who uh, is a redshirt sophomore who <laughs> that I was referencing earlier that hasn't pitched because of injuries. So uh, that one is fresh on my mind. Had you asked me this a week ago, that would have been a guess too.
1: Okay, very good. Yes, pitcher for Oklahoma State. Raleigh Saint Clair is actually Bill Murray's character in the uh, Wes Anderson film *The Royal Tenenbaums*. So very nice. Four for four. I've got to get better at these game things, man. I've got to get better. At- yeah. Uh. Very nice. Uh, Joe, dude, awesome. I really appreciate your time. This has been absolutely fantastic, and uh, I can't wait to do this again with you as the season progresses. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Happy to do it. Always love talking Big 12 baseball. I'm happy to do it again some other time. Podcast Network.